verses 1 through 8. This particular psalm, David wrote after uh, the consequences of the sin that he committed and the things that were going on in, in his life and in his body. We talked about, first of all, we must admit the source of sin. That's first, uh, James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. We talked about that we must avoid the secrecy of sin. I promise you, you can try to keep your sin secret, and, and, uh, but I, after a while, it's going to catch up with you. So just know that. And then the third thing we're going to talk about is we must acknowledge the serenity that we should have because of sin. And what's serenity mean? Do what? Peace. It's talking about our composure. It's talking about patience, peace. When you lay your head down on the pillow at night, do you have peace? Well, I know what it's like not to, don't you? But isn't it great to know that you can, and we have a promise in the Word of God, that we can lay our head down and have peace and go to sleep. Well, David at this point in Psalms 38 didn't have it. And I want you to hear it because you're not going to hear pleasure. You're going to hear pain. And I want you to hear it from the perspective of David. Psalms 38, verse 1. Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger. Don't discipline me in your rage. Your arrows have struck deep. And blows are crushing me. Because of your anger, my whole body's sick. My health is broken because of my sins. My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I'm bent over and racked with pain. My days are filled with grief. A raging fever burns within me, and my health is broken. I'm exhausted and completely crushed. Listen to this. My groans come from an anguished heart. Boy, I want to tell you something. You need to understand that while it's so true that you and I don't have to sin, When we choose to, like David, and we choose to follow in his footsteps, there's grand consequences for those sins. You see, sin will destroy your testimony. Sin will take away your peace and your contentment. It will lead to stress. How many of you feel like you are living a stressful life? Some of you don't realize just how caught up more inside of the stress you are than the stress-freeness of life. John 14, 27, Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. How hung up are you? How ingrained are you with stress? Mainly stress is due to sin and us not handling things in a proper way. Well, let's take a little test. You fill in the last word, I'll give you the sentence. I'm ready to throw in the... Now, isn't that interesting that you know that? 
I'm at the end of my... Really? I'm just a bundle of... Wow. My life's fallen. Have y'all studied for this? I'm at wits. Really? How do you know this? I'm about to come on. Really? Didn't know his glue, did you? I feel like resigning from the human. Now, isn't that amazing? Y'all all made a hundred. I bet you I could throw out some promises of God and fill in, and you couldn't give me the answer. But for some reason or another, you either have lived this and on the other side, or you're right in the middle of it. I can't answer that one for you. Only you can answer that one for yourself. Jesus said, I leave my peace with you. Oh, what a wonderful promise. That we have the peace. Peace is a gift. It's, it's not something you work for. It's not something that you earn. Sounds like salvation. It's not something you buy. It's not something you learn. It's a gift. It's called peace. The peace of God. You see, God's peace is unique in that it's not, it's not fragile. Human peace is based on your circumstances. If everything in my life is satisfactory, running smoothly, guess what? I'm peaceful. Get up in the morning. If you've got one, unless you get on a bicycle, and that's okay too. But if your tire's flat, you ain't going far. But all of you get up in the morning for the anticipation of stick. If you don't leave your keys in the ignition, putting the keys in the ignition for the purpose of what? Turning it over and what? It starts. You're expecting every day for that to happen. And when you get up, turn the key, and it don't happen. Oh, my goodness. That long list we just read starts unfolding in our lives. Why? Now, let me tell you something. If God's peace is eternal peace, it should supersede the list of stress. But oftentimes it don't. She agrees with me. The peace Jesus gives does not depend on your present circumstance. While your present circumstances may not look that great to you, our peace should not be determined on the circumstances, on the picture what's before us. Well, I believe peace is your birthright As a child of God. Psalms 138, as we've read, boy, there's no peace in that, is there? And by the way, this is the same man when he was 18 that picked up five stones, took one of them, and and slew Goliath. One day I'm going to find my outline, (laughs) I lost it, on the four other stones. Because I believe those four other stones, those four other giants are kicking your tail and mine. I asked Butch, and we was talking about it. We're going to talk about with Damascus Road, and it may lead a Bible study in here in the future with men, on the seven giants that we must defeat that most likely is kicking our tail. 
And, and if, you th- if you don't think we're not going to fight giants, then you don't read about David. Don't read it because he's fighting them until he dies. 80-something years old. We got to face them. Well, let's talk about a minute and look at what David was facing here of trying to reconnect through the serenity Serenity makes me think of the prayer of serenity. One of you guys tell us that prayer real quick. Butch, they ought to know it, shouldn't he? All right, now we're going to do it all for everybody to understand it. I'm going to count on the count of three, all you guys, because you're supposed to memorize this, right, Butch? Okay. On the count of three, let us have it. One, two, three. Okay, that's the prayer of serenity. They have to learn that, and it's a good prayer. But you see, while we may quote that, it's a little bit different to live that. And, and I think that's what David's learned here. Listen to Psalms 51 verse 12, because he learned how sin can destroy our testimony. Here's what, Joyce, uh, here's what David said in verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He didn't say restore my salvation because he didn't lose that. He said restore the joy. How many of you are happy to be saved? Well, how about telling your face about it? You're discouraging me a little bit. Looking at some of y'all, you look like you've been sucking on sour uh, grapes or something. Connect your face with, with what you say. Restore, David said. Why had he lost his joy? Because sin had sealed his lips. The Bible says that he had quit teaching the transgressors their ways and sharing to sinners to be converted. Let me tell you some of the early things that go. When you and I are tailing down way before it becomes obvious to the most, you quit witnessing, if you ever did in the first place, you quit having a desire to teach or learn the Bible, and then you fade out into the community. That's exactly what happens. Now, there are a lot of things involved in that. But the enemy's pretty smart, and he knows how to get you and I, get you and I involved in that kind of stuff. I, I just think it's important that we understand how important it is to witness, how important it is to work, how important it is to worship, and to have an attitude of weeping for the lost. How, when's the last time you shed a tear for somebody that's lost? Do we even care? Many believers are like the young man who came, though he, he asked, had asked God over and over to forgive him. You ever just had those things? You just say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, I mean, this guy had asked to, he was buried in the burden or, or, or buried in the sea of burden of guilt. He went to his pastor and he says, what do I do about this? His pastor said, son, 
What you should is ask God to forgive you one time and thank him 999 times that he forgave you. You see, I don't know whether we believe God forgives sin or not. The pardon of Jesus Christ made it possible through the blood of his cross provides us a complete coverage. Listen, I think the problem is accepting God's pardon means accepting God's acceptance of you. When you get up in the morning as ugly as some of us are, and I, and I, I bring myself in that category, and I look into that mirror and I see my own eyeballs. When you look into that mirror and you see who you really are down deep, do you like what you see? Do you? Because you see a lot of people look into the mirror and they don't like what they see. And by the way, it was God who allowed you to be born. Accepting God's pardon means you and I must accept God's acceptance of us. God loves you, man. David said, Lord, please cleanse me of this thing. And while my, my, my lips have been sealed and sin has destroyed my testimony, I acknowledge that I am not right. Someone has well said that a, there are two kinds of Christians. There's soul winners and backsliders. If you and I do not have the heart of seeing people saved, you're backslidden. You say, You're being judgmental. No, I'm just telling you the truth. You tell me something more important than going to heaven. You tell me something more important than seeing somebody get saved that they're going to go to heaven. What's more important? Your job? Oh, really? I pulled my drawer out this morning, and I saw a picture of my mama. And she was there with several other ladies back in the back of the church. And I looked and I said, you know what? The most important thing I could say right now, looking into the eyes of this picture of my mama, is that she's in heaven. I can't think of anything more important. And you won't either. When you're in the shape that my mom got in. And when you cross over to the other side. Well... There are still some of you right now. You're hearing my words, but you're being haunted by the ghost of guilt. You lay your head down at night, and you're being plagued through your mind and through your heart with guilt. Someone said every guilty person is his own hangman. Your sin and failure takes you to the gallows each and every day. What does the Bible say that David did to get out of the mess he was in? David had gotten into some some serious thinking, and, and he'd gotten into some consequences that were difficult to deal with. If some of you had some of the same health issues due to the consequences of his sin that he had, you may not be looking at life quite like you do today. What did David do to get his peace back? Well, let's look at it. If you'll turn to Psalms 32, verse 5, it says this. David said, I acknowledged my sin unto thee. 
What is he saying? He's saying, I realize, God, that I have committed this sin. What sin? David had committed what? Adultery and also murder. He, had, he, he called it for the way it was. How many of you at night, you say, oh, God, forgive me all my sins. You better stop that kind of praying. You better get open and honest with God. And, and, and when you pray, matter of fact, the best way to handle your sin, a, a, a constant maintenance is when you sin, ask God to forgive you right then. Turn from it right then. Don't wait till that night. You'll forget it. But it's still hanging. And the effect of it, it sealed David's lips. And sometimes we, get, we, we, we say this. I don't, just, I don't know why I don't want to go to church no more. I, I don't know why I don't want to hang out with God's people no more. I don't know why I don't want to serve in the church no more. I don't know why I don't want to sing or preach or teach. I don't know why. I'll tell you why. You're not dealing with your everyday maintenance as a believer. It just don't go away. (laughs) It didn't with David. David acknowledged his sin. He didn't conceal it. He didn't hide it anymore. He just said, God, here it is, and I'm going to turn from it. The second thing he did in verse 5 says, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. He admitted it. <laughs> Who broke that vase? Wasn't me. Sit there and saw you do it. Not me. I, you ever done I didn't do it. I love my grandkids, and, and, and they're a picture of, of a lot of older believers. If you, if you don't care for you don't knock that tree over. I'll just blame it on you. I said, okay. Won't be anything different than Adam and Eve didn't do. It, to confess your sin means to agree with God that it is sin. You see, sometimes I think as believers, we get so professional and good at this that we, we just sin all the time, and, and we go, well, you know, God, you know, I, this is a flesh thing, and, and, and I, after all, you know I'm weak, and, and, and after all, I, and just, we just kind of begin to, to just justify all this stuff, and, and we say, you know what, I don't have to, I don't have to worry about that, I don't have to, I don't have to go to God about this, oh, yep, you do. David thought he was getting by with it until he sent his prophet Nathan. And Nathan exposed him. And God will do that to you. And he does that to me. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not... And I'm gonna, it says prosper. Let's just say, shall not have peace. Serenity. We can't if we're a believer. Well, then what does God do when we confess our sins? You know? Little kids come to you and says, 
All right, man, tell me now. I confess that I've admitted it. What does God do about all this? Well, if you'll turn to Psalms 32 and look at verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. You know what the word forgiven means? It means to be lifted, carried, bared, lifted up, carried away. It's the idea of lifting a heavy burden off someone and carrying it away. <laughs> it's so true that burdens are lifted at Calvary. When God forgives us, he lifts the heavy burden of sin and guilt. And he forgives it. There's some of you are carrying right now unforgiveness towards somebody, some people. Certain person may have hurt you, and you won't forgive them. Can I ask you a question? What makes you think you're better than God? Because God forgives them if they seek it. And let me tell you something. If you're in here and you've got something deep down and it's coming to mind right now, matter of fact, the name's coming, and now you're beginning to boil a little bit. I cannot believe they did that to me. Well, believe it. They did it to you. You got to forgive them. For you to be right, you to have peace, you have to forgive them. Then what did God do secondly? Look at verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Oh, I like this. And whose sin is covered. You know what that means? God put your sin that he forgave out of his sight. It's important that God not be able to see your sin anymore because that says you're a born-again believer. Want to know why? Because it's covered and bathed in his blood. That's very important. Without it, you're spiritually naked. You're doomed. God forgave David's sin. He forgot David's sin. David had concealed his sin, and he was filled with grief. When God concealed his sin, David was automatically filled with glory. Psalms 10 or Jeremiah 31, 34 says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Psalms 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. The story is told of a man who stopped at a country store to ask the distance to the next town or to a certain town. And the reply was, well, if you continue in the direction you're going, it'll take you about 25,000 miles. But if you'll turn around, it's three miles back up the road. You see, some of you are on the road that's going to take you a long time, maybe never. To get to the point where you have peace. If you continue to cover that sin, you'll never know freedom from guilt. But if you turn around, you can know what it is to be forgiven and what it is to be cleansed by Him. 
He's the only one that can cleanse us. There are two people that will deal with you concerning your sin. Number one, the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8 says, When he was come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. What does the word reprove mean? It means to convict. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin that is unconfessed. But Satan will remind you of sin that you've already confessed. How many of you wake up sometimes? Didn't anticipate it. God cleansed you. Forgave you, forgot it. But then all of a sudden, you felt this overwhelming guilt again. Who is that? It ain't God. It's not God. God does what he says he is able to do. You see, that sin comes from either the enemy or your choice. What do you mean my choice? It means you haven't forgiven yourself. You've got to learn that God expects you to forgive yourself. There are threefold proposition when it comes to forgiveness. One, there is the forgiveness of God. You've heard that. There's also the forgiveness of others and then the forgiveness of ourselves. One man not too long ago passed away and He had sort of a 10-plus-year grief or grudge toward this face. Can you imagine that? I mean, toward me. Can you even imagine that? Well, I could. He's called in, going to die. So he wants to see me. The day I went down to see him when I left, there was such a... I don't know if I was just carrying that burden on my shoulders, but it was definitely on his shoulders. And when he released it, then I released it, and we walked out there free men. Free men. But we were in bondage. And some of you are in bondage right now to someone else that either has harmed you, hurt you, that is... Whatever. And you'll never be free from that until you release it. If God's cleansed you, forgiven you, then you must forgive yourself. Now, there are times, just like I said, 10 plus years before this was handled, two weeks before he went home to be with Jesus, he went free with no problem with me. And me not feeling any problem with him. That's a good feeling. Well, I'm fixing to stir up some of your feelings and mess you up sure enough. And closing this illustration. I was reading and come across this. It involves a man named Rusty Woomer. Some of you may know him. And it may not mean anything to you as far as this goes, as far as this man. But he was the 244th person to sit in South Carolina electric chair. Rusty Woomer grew up in a hillbilly town in West Virginia. He came from a broken home. He was beaten and abused by his dad. 
He quit school in the ninth grade and became a drug addict. At age 16, he was sent to a home of juvenile delinquents. At 19, he was sent to state prison for three years for stealing 14 cases of beer. When Rusty Woomer got out of jail, he went right back to the cycle of drugs, alcohol, thievery to get more drugs and more alcohol. He mainlined amphetamines, if I said that right, to keep him high, and he chugged down whiskey, vodka, and beer to keep him low. In between, he was popping Quaaludes, Valium, and PCP. One night with another hoodlum friend of his, stoned out of his mind on drugs, Rusty Woomer went on a, and walked into a coin shop, stole all the coins that were in the shop, and killed the coin collector. From there, Rusty and his companion picked out a house at random, went in, killed the, the residents, Arnie Richardson and Earl Dean Wright. They stole more guns and money and moved on. They finally stopped at a Pauly's Island where they robbed a convenience store and kidnapped two church, uh, female clerks, Della Louise Sellers and Wanda Summers. They took these w- uh, women to a remote wooded area, raped them, and then Rusty shot both of them. Della Louise Sellers died. Wanda Summers lived but the lost the lower half of her face by a shotgun blast. They were finally caught that night in a hotel room. Rusty's companion shot himself rather than surrender. The police took a drugged out old, took drugged out old Rusty into custody. The next day, shaking and still high from his drugs, he confessed to the murders. While on death row, a Christian who ministered to prisoners came by his cell and began to talk to him about the Lord. Rusty, who had gotten a kind word from hadn't gotten a kind word from any human being as far back as he could remember, began to listen. Rusty was genuinely and miraculously converted, totally committed his life to Jesus. He wrote letters to the families of his victims, asking for their forgiveness. He began to witness and lead other prisoners on death row to the Lord Jesus. He would sit and read scriptures for hours. After all, what else you got to do? In the days before he was executed, he even shot a video to show young people in schools, hopefully to keep them from following the same path of death, destruction that he had followed. Rusty wrote out a final statement before he died, and the last part of it read like this. I want to tell everybody that I'm fine. Some of you are sitting here right now saying, I don't give a flip, he ought to die. Hang on to your hat. I've never known peace like he said, Rusty said that I've known in my final days here on earth. I know some people say I got jailhouse religion. They're right. I turned to Jesus in prison, and when I had no place else to go or to turn, words cannot express what Jesus did for me. But he knows, and that all all counts for me. But next to his conversion, the most glorious experience that happened to him, rusty rumor, happened just before he was taken to the electric chair. When he picked up that plain envelope and he trembled when he saw the return address. It was from Lee Hewitt, the younger brother of Della Sellers. The woman whose murder Rusty would die for. This is what the letter said. And this is from Della's brother. For years, I hated you with all my heart. I could have blown your brains out for what you did to my sister. I only regretted you were in prison where I couldn't get to you. I spent, I spent much of my life in jail 56 different times over the years. I felt like failure. But then I became 
my two, myself, a Christian. The more I learned about being a Christian, the more I knew I had to forgive you. Sorry, self. I didn't want to, but it got to where I couldn't even pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forget those who trespass against us. It, was, it made me so mad. Now I had to forgive you. Now the ball was in my court. I prayed about it. God has done a miracle in my heart. Rusty, I forgive you. We're brothers in Christ now. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I put those two girls, and I put my family in their faces. Because, you see, some of you hadn't been pushed this far yet in your forgiveness. But I'm telling you, for you that sit here and struggle of whether or not he should or should have not forgiven you, I just want you to know God has forgiven you. And he has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west to remember it and not to haunt you in guilt as long as you don't repeat it ever again anymore. If you have, if God has forgiven you, then you can forgive yourself. If he's forgiven you, if you've been forgiven by God, regardless of what others say or do, you can forgive yourself. You don't have to live a life filled with guilt anymore. If God has forgiven you of your sin, then rejoice because your sin has been forgiven. God is either who he said he is or he's a liar and we can't trust him whatsoever. Now let me ask you something. When you laid your head on the pillow last night, did you lay there with peace in your heart because God has cleansed you and forgiven you? Because I'm going to tell you something. I can't cleanse you. I can't save you. I can't bring you to the cross. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here and you've never prayed to receive Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. If you've never been saved... You repeat with me under the leadership as the Holy Spirit has revealed to you that you're lost. Dear Jesus, I ask you right now to forgive me of my sin, to come into my heart, and to save me. Lord Jesus, I want to follow you the rest of my life. I want to follow you in believer's baptism, and I thank you right now Because you have forgiven me, I, too, can forgive myself. If you prayed that and you meant that, the Bible says you've been saved. And it also says that you and I should not be ashamed of Jesus. And that we should be willing to testify and to tell others about Him. And when we have had our lips sealed because of our sin... 1 John 1, 9 says, if we'll confess that sin, he'll be faithful and just to cleanse us of that sin and all unrighteousness. And he'll unseal your lips. He'll let you again, with joy, be restored in your salvation. You know, we we talk about this old-fashioned altar, and I'm telling you, some of you may play it down, but I don't. I play it up because I'll tell you, I've seen a lot of people that meant be at business with Jesus. 
whether it been an altar at the home around the coffee table, whether it been an altar around a table, whether it be the altar around this church, and get serious with God, He will again restore unto you the joy of your salvation. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? As our vocalist begins to sing,